Well, I just got back from a group from a trip with 29 of us, I guess total. We're on a a a trip around the world. Felt like uh, two different countries, uh, thousands uh, seemed like thousands of miles, but actually it wasn't. Uh, but it was a lot of time, a lot of a lot of places. We started our trip actually in Athens, uh, Greece, where. Though it was a discipleship journey, walking in the steps of the apostle Paul, and as he did, wrote his letters in the places that he that he that he traveled to, we started off by actually meeting with some refugees, uh, a refugee in particular that uh, we're going to be working with. That we've given money to the Syrian refugees, the Iraqi refugees. There, there are North African refugees. Fifty thousand of them total make up. Uh, population in Athens alone. And we were in Thessaloniki and there's a whole nother uh, uh, truckload of people that are up there. And so it's just all over that entire region. And we're, we're, we've, we've, we're supporting them. We're loving on them, just helping them in the most basic needs of life and just getting them shoes and clothing and stuff like that. And then we were able to meet with the people that we're going to be working with this fall and even into Christmas. We got two, we got two trips going out this year just to going to, again, love on and just be Jesus in their life as best we, we can. So if you're interested in either of those trips, then you can learn more. But it was a, a journey, a spiritual pilgrimage to walk in the steps of Paul. And we went to a lot of places. But our last stop was actually not a place where Paul went, not a place where we know of any apostles or any any of the disciples of Jesus went at all is actually uh, the city of Istanbul. And that was our last stop before we, we took off. And of course, and you go to Istanbul, there's certain places you got to go to the Blue Mosque. You got to go to these different, uh, amazing, beautiful architectural, uh, places. But one of those was the Hagia Sophia. And, and understanding the history of that is so, so incredible. And why on a, on a Paul's pilgrimage did you end up there where Paul never even went is because if you think back, and again, this comes to our book in Romans where we're at. We've been in Romans is Paul is writing all these letters. And for that first 300 years following Christ, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and ascension, Christianity was outlawed. Okay, yeah, they, they, they were a cult, they were, they were persecuted. There was at least 10 different imperial, Roman imperial, uh, instituted persecutions by different emperors. And so there was just, m- just massive amounts of people that were burned at the stake, that were literally in the gladiator, uh, arenas that were used as bait. And so it's just an incredible time of persecution under the Roman Empire. But when you found Fast forward 300 years, the, the penetration and the power of the gospel in people's lives had so impacted even Rome all the way up to Constantine, where Constantine himself becomes a, a, a follower of Christ, and his son Constantinus builds or sanctions, a church sanctions or government sanctions, the first building of the very first church ever to be dedicated in 360 AD, and it was on the site of the Hagia Sophia. And so it was kind of cool to go as kind of our capstone of our trip to go to this site that in the Ottoman Empire would ultimately take over the, 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 the church in the 1400s and it became a mosque. And then it was uh, under, uh, Ataturk, the, 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 I guess the founding father of, of Turkey, uh, it became a museum. So it goes from a church to a mosque to now it's a museum. And during the time that it was a mosque, they took many of the mosaics 
sticks and they plastered over them, covering them up, making it obviously into a mosque. You wouldn't have photos of Jesus in a mosque so much or, or any of those images images there. But some of the most incredible artwork, sorry for the, the bad photo, it's my iPhone camera. If Lori would have let me buy the 10, I would have been able to have better photos for you, but I was stuck with the success. Um, but anyway, all that being said, she's doing this right here. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, that's what you get. Uh, but it's incredible mosaic that you're looking at 10th century mosaic and to hear the story of this is Leo the sixth and to hear the story of it and then to look at it and to see other, um, other, um, uh, symbols and other, uh, uh, mosaics and that, that are, that are throughout in, in, in the different chambers of this Hagia Sophia is incredible. And then to think about what makes up a mosaic. A mosaic is thousands, hundreds, or many, many pieces of brokenness that come together in the hands of an artist that are put back together with care and delicacy and vision and direction to be made into, I mean, again, broken pieces could be glass, could be clay, could be precious stones, could be metals, and all brought together to create a story to be told. Out of brokenness, though. Not out of something whole, not out of something complete. Out of broken, shattered pieces coming back together to tell an incredible story. And it is from, and this is such a life lesson, that, that it is from brokenness that we see the beauty of mosaics. It is from the mess of brokenness that we see the beauty of a mosaic. And I think about our own stories, our own lives. God takes the mess of our lives, the broken pieces of our lives, the pieces that in and of themselves are memories of old bad choices and decisions and ways of thinking. And it's taking these bad, broken pieces that in and of themselves really mean nothing and almost could be discarded and thrown away. Taking these many, many hundreds of pieces of brokenness in our life that we would normally throw away and God brings them back together. And one by one, he pieces them into this beautiful, costly, expensive, valuable story of our life. I have a question for you. What does the mosaic of your life say? What's the story of your mosaic? Because that 10th century Leo VI has a story behind it. So what if your life were made into a mosaic? What would be the broken pieces that would come? Or maybe you don't want to deal with the brokenness. Maybe you want to shove the brokenness in a closet. Maybe you want to throw it out in the trash. Maybe you want to move to another church or move to another home or move to another relationship or move to another city. And you just want to start all over in a fresh. But then you get to the other side and you find that there's brokenness on the other side too. Or you create brokenness on the other side. But what if God could take the broken throwaway pieces of our life and make them whole? What if God could take the, the, the shattered cracks of our story and make them whole? Not plaster over them, not try to hide them, not try to make them unseen, but make them whole. Ernest Hemingway himself had many dark demons in, in his own life, and his own story. But Ernest Hemingway made a statement that I think was very true in his own self-reflection. Everyone is broken by life. But afterward, many are strong in the broken places. My question, how do I get strong 
in the brokenness. Doesn't brokenness, doesn't it make it more fragile? Doesn't it make that the weak spot of my life? Doesn't it make that the story that's marred and, and, and I don't, I'm ashamed of and I want to cover it over? No, no, no. Maybe it's in the broken spot that I become the strongest. I want you to ask yourself the question, what is the story of my mosaic? What is the story? And I've said this from the beginning that as, as we think about the, the brokenness of our own stories, if we think about the, the mosaic that God may be wanting to take the mess of our life and make it into a beautiful mosaic, that as we think about that, I want to ask you, when you look back at the cracks, when you look back at the brokenness, when you look like back at the shattered pieces, when you look back at the emptiness that you go through from time to time, what is it that you see? Do you see shame? Shame is a, is a mean, cruel tactic of, of Satan. It lingers long and it stares deep and it stinks to high heaven. And it's one of those that will not let you rest. Do you see shame or do you see grace? Have you experienced grace? The grace is what bonds the mosaic together. The grace is what brings it all together. Grace is what God does whenever he's taking it piece by piece and piecing it into a mosaic that we can look at and is valued and honored in museums in life. When people look back at your life, will they see the shame and the broken pieces or will they see the beautiful mosaic that God is wanting to create in all of us? We've been studying through Romans and the entire series is Mosaic. And I really haven't talked about why, how I got the title Mosaic until today, but this is where it begins. Because this is where, as Caleb kind of kicked it off last week, this is where we're going to start seeing how the pieces can come back together again. But the problem is, until we go back, and this is a life principle for you, until we embrace our brokenness, we will not experience God's wholeness. If we're unwilling to go back and uncover and unplaster and restore and to bring back to the surface and bring light onto the darkness, if we're unwilling to go back to that, then we will never see it in the light. And we will never see it in God's wholeness. As we think about Romans, then again, we're, 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 you think maybe five months in Romans, that should be enough to cover 16 chapters. But I can tell you right now, the, one of the greatest struggles I'm facing is there's insufficient amount of time to cover Romans. It's why John Piper, whenever he was in, in one eight year period of his, of his ministry before he retired, preached 220 messages from Romans in eight years. There is so much in content that I am skipping over that I'm not even able to get to, that I'm going to require you to do some homework, to do due diligence, and, and to get into the Word of God and to break it open day by day, day in and day out. And this next week, between now and Friday, I challenge you to go back to Romans chapter 1. Yeah, I know we're in Romans 5 today. I want you to go back to Romans chapter 1. I want you to read the first 17 verses, and I want you to look for the one-word theme that Paul mentions again and again. He mentions it multiple times in chapter 1, verses 1 to 17, but I also want you to understand that this is one of Paul's favorite words. It's on which everything in Paul's theology hinges. It's mentioned 96 times in the New Testament. This one word is mentioned 96 times in the New Testament. Of those 96 times, 73 times by Paul. 
That's how many times he mentions this one word. It is the essence of everything we're going to celebrate next weekend. I'll let you figure out and discover in your own Bible study this, those, those words. And then next Sunday, we're going to come back. And at three different times, at 8 in the morning, at 9.30, and at 11 o'clock. And I just can tell you right now, 9.30 is going to be the crowd, most crowded. If you have flex schedules, come, come at 8.30, come, uh, come at the 11 uh, or whatever, because it's going to be a little hairy. All right, if you really can come at 8, 8 o'clock, we'd really appreciate it. We'll play double blessings on you, whatever uh, that, that will mean. That would help us out, uh, but uh, nonetheless, we'll take you however we get you. Um, but in in this in this in this study, we're going to be in Romans six next week. In Romans six next week, you will understand a little bit more again the power of the resurrection and how it fits into Paul's writing and how it all comes together and how it's the glue, it's the expression of God's grace and how that brings the story and the mosaic. In fact, Romans it says John Knox said this: Romans is is unquestionably the most important theological work ever written. It's a big statement. Most important work ever written. And we're only doing five months in it. We're in chapter 5 today. I want to do a rapid review of Romans. If you'll spare me the time and listen quickly, I want to give it to you in three statements. First of all, there's the why. Okay, why are we in such a mess in our society? Romans chapter 1, verses uh, 8, 18 to chapter 3, verses 20 will give you a quick flyover of the why. You, we talked about it a few weeks ago. The why is because we've forgotten God and we've suppressed the truth. Really quickly, really easy. Every culture, every generation that's ever lived that has, that has forgotten God and suppressed truth, forgotten God and suppressed truth, that, that generation has deteriorated further and further down. And this is not, this is not new. There's nothing we can do to course correct. There's no utopia society out there. There's no perfect government out there. There's nothing, nothing, nothing out there because this is just the way it's been since the beginning of time. Now, God didn't create us this way. We chose this path. And in Romans chapter 5, where we're going to be today, in verse 12, he actually gives us kind of how it all started. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. Now, we all know who that one man is, is Adam. Adam and Eve in the garden, they did not listen to God. They forgot God, and they suppressed the truth. They said, oh, God didn't say that. They had listened to Satan. Satan said, God didn't really say. Oh, okay, well, God didn't really say. They suppressed the truth. They forgot God, and they did their own thing. Starts there. They came into a world and through one man, and death through sin. That's how death entered into the world. So death spread to all men. And man is speaking of mankind here because all sinned. Every last one of us, none of us escaped, even our, our little joyous little children. And you heard Andrew uh, talk about Alice and how she's this beautiful little child. But what, what, where did she learn no? From those mean kids down the street? Is there, is, did she learn it from Kendall here at, 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 at the church? Is that where she learned that? No, I hate to say this, but I laugh at it because our kids did the same thing. One of the first words they learned is no. And one of the first things they do is scream. It's because they didn't get their way. It's selfishness. It's, it is just a part of us. By nature and choice, it just makes up who we are. And listen, the racism that we can't seem to curtail in our society, 
The sexism that continues to bubble up in all of the Me Too movement and so much stuff that's happening out there today. The terrorism? Oh my goodness. Since Parkland, Florida's uh, shooting a month ago, there's been four more school shootings since then. When's it going to end? Austin, Texas this week, serial bomber going around blowing up people. This week, materialism is so great and so rampant. Many people live at, the, at one paycheck away from, from, from bankruptcy. You talk about kingdom stuff and having a, a kingdom focus and generosity in their life. They can't do that because they're so stretched to the hill with debt. Moral relativism, where does that come from? Because we forgot God and we suppress the truth. We want to make it our truth and not the truth of God. That's the why. We created this mess. Now, let's talk about the how. Because the how is where Caleb took us last week. How are we going to get out of this mess? How, how are we going to get from, from this mess to mosaic? I mean, that's where we're wanting to go. And in chapter 3, 21 to chapter 4, verse 25, we really get a good picture, a good overview. How's the mess going to get fixed? How are we going to get out of the mess into the mosaic? Listen, insert Jesus into the story. Jesus said, I did not come to judge the world, but I came to save the world. He is that Messiah, that long-awaited, anointed one. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. The righteousness of God, you want to know where the righteousness of God is? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. You want to get to the righteousness of God? Okay, how are you going to get there? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For all who believe, it's going to take a faith relationship on your part. You're going to have to believe it. You're going to have to own it. For there is no distinction. I love that statement. He's not going to distinguish between Jews or or, or Muslims or or Hindus or or educated or uneducated or Westerners or Easterners or, 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 or illiterate or illiterate. Illiterate. He's not, he's, he, he, there's no distinction. And I love it because in chapter four, what he does, he goes in and he starts giving an example. Even Abraham, now Abraham, Abraham is a patriarch of three different world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Everybody reveres Abraham, but even Abraham, even Abraham was a person who had sinned. And needed forgiveness. Abraham believed God, it says in Romans 4, 3. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him. It was put on his account as righteousness. It wasn't because Abraham did enough good things that made him right with God. It was because Abraham believed God. He believed God. And it goes right on to say, and David, the greatest king that Israel had ever known, and David also. And David also, just as David. None of us, nobody is different from anybody else. Everyone has this, as Caleb used, uh, reset. Everyone is reset through a belief-faith relationship in God Almighty. The good thing is, is we have the clarity of who that God Almighty is. Is when God put on flesh and dwelt among men, came to this earth. God chose to put on flesh and dwell among us. And the beauty becomes clear. I wonder if Abraham and Mosaic, Abraham and David had a mosaic, what would their story be? What's your story of your mosaic? Let's talk about the what. The what is where we're going to be today. The what is, what is the secret to fixing the mess? 
Jesus enters in. Jesus is that expression of God in the flesh. Okay, how are we going to get out of this? How, the why, the what? What what are we going to do? What's the secret to getting out? And it comes down to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Look there with me. He says, therefore, it's the very first words. Therefore, since we've been justified. The key word on this, to key in on it, is the word justified. Justified. Now, Please understand what the word justified means. It does not mean like the, the, the 14 year old boy or girl who cheats on their exam and gets caught. And what do they do? They justify their wrong. Self justification is not what this word means. This word is one of Paul's favorite words. He uses it eight times in five chapters. The first five chapters, the word justified is constantly there. It's a verb. It's stated in, listen to this, the passive voice. What does that mean to you and me? It's not something that I go and do. Verbs are something you do, right? I go and get justified. I go and plead my case and I get justified. I I give my excuses and I'm justified. No, no, no. It is a passive. It's something that happens to you. It's an action that happens to you. It's not something that I do. It's something that happens to me. God justifies me. God makes me right. That's what justified means. God makes me beautiful. God makes my mess into a mosaic. God makes me whole. God does this. I don't do it. I am the recipient of it. The praise song I used to sing growing up in youth group was, had a phrase like this. I owed a debt I could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. That's what Jesus did. I had a debt I couldn't unpack. Listen, I have enough sin in my life in one day to sink a ship. Bad attitudes, losing my temper, lustful thoughts, laziness, whatever, gluttony. Any any number of things in a day could sink my ship. And There's not enough good. I I wouldn't trust the best day of my life to get me to heaven. I have to be judged. There has to be God just simply saying, Mike, I'm going to make you right. Mike, I'm going to make you just. Mike, I'm going to take your mess and make it a mosaic. I'm going to do an incredible work in you, Mike. And what Paul does is he takes this bonding agent of grace and he shows us how through this work of God, he makes us whole. This word justification, you cannot miss it. It is absolutely key. One of the greatest uh, theologians of the 20th century is Karl Barth. And he was said, he featured on Time Magazine uh, cover in 1962. This is what he said. He said, never was and never can be any true Christian church without a doctrine of justification. If we don't Grace point, don't understand what justification means that all we are is a therapeutic lesson up here. All we are is a motivational speaker up here. All you're going to get is a warm fuzzy when you come in here. Mm -mm. If we don't get to the work of Jesus in every last one of us, we fail. Nobody. Nobody can escape the work of Jesus. What he does, this is the beauty of it. When he does it, you look totally different. It goes from the mess to the mosaic. Let's talk about, let me just read the passage. Because now what he does is he gives us the explanation of it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, okay? 
By faith what? By faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And through Him, we have obtained access by faith into the grace into which we stand. We rejoice. Now, I want you to notice several times, he's going to use several key words here. He's going to use the word rejoice. He's going to use it three different times. He's going to use the word hope three different times. He's going to use the word reconciliation three different times. He's going to really emphasize, this is a turning of the page. This is a turning on the lights, if you will. Remember, I talked about how the first three chapters are going to be dark, 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 dark. And the next chapter, three, four, five, and following, we're going to start turning on the light. He's turning on the light. Yes, you've got to step into the darkness, but the beauty is you step into the darkness just long enough so you can see the light and appreciate the light. So now he's turning the light on. We're going to see hope. We're going to see rejoicing. We're going to see access to the Father. We're going to see peace. And he goes on, verse 3, not only that, uh, uh, not uh, only that, but we rejoice. This is the second time he uses re- rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces. Uh, uh, produces character and character produces hope. Second time the word hope is used. And a third time, and hope does not put us to shame. Hope's not empty. It's not just hope in a positive mental attitude. It's hope that doesn't disappoint us. It's substantive hope is what he's saying because God's love. Now notice this. You'll never find the word Trinity in the Bible, but you find the doctrine of the Trinity throughout the Bible. You see, God the Father, God's love has been poured into our hearts through what? Through the Holy Spirit. Third person of the Trinity, first person of the Trinity. Where's Jesus in this? Who has been given to us for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ. There's the second person of the Trinity. Died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for the righteous person. Though perhaps a good person, one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have been justified. There's that word justified again. By his blood, it required his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him. From the wrath of God. Now, when's the last time we saw the wrath of God? Remember chapter 1, verse 18? We talked about the wrath of God. Now we're seeing the wrath of God being muted, being overrun. Being overrun by what? The grace of God giving us the justice on our account. The wrath of God. For it is while we were enemies, we were reconciled. That's the first time it's used. Reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled shall we be saved by uh, his life. More than, uh, more than that, we also rejoice. There's the word rejoice again. Uh, in God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now receive reconciliation. Lots of words there. But here's what I want us to see. When God takes our mess and makes a mosaic, how does he do it? What happens in that beauty? There's a story that's told. And I pray that through these three stories that are told, you will see your life. And if you don't, before you leave here, please, please, please turn to Jesus. Number one, when we experience the justification work of Jesus in our life, the story that's told, we have an enduring peace with God. We have peace with God 
Not hostility to God. Now, you got to understand. you got to understand, again, the dark before you can appreciate the light. We have hostility towards God. By human nature, when we, when we enter into rebellious hearts and we have sinful hearts and when we are envious and on and on and on, the list goes on and on and on. When we have that kind of attitude about ourselves, then guess what? We are going to have an attitude of war with God, a hostility with God. He says here, but we have peace with God. In Romans chapter 1, it says, Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But we got to understand that there's a lot of our life that we had hostility towards God. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, it says, The flesh is hostile to God. When we choose our, our, our own natural tendencies, when we choose our own fleshly desires, it literally is fighting a war against God. James chapter 4, verse 4, he even calls us adulterous people. Adulterous people do not know that friendship with the world is enmity. It's the same word he uses for hostility in in Romans. He uses enmity in in chapter 4, verse 4. Enmity, fighting against. Listen, I have fought against God. And every single time I have fought against God's will in my life, I have lost. And I have regretted it every time single time. And what happens is this is called sin. It's called iniquities. And Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, your iniquities create a separation between you and your God. That he won't even hear you. Let me tell you about three years of my life whenever I was in a season of dumb, okay? Now we all have days of dumb and moments of dumb. But this was three years of dumb. I'll say three to four years. So whenever church for me was something I did because I had to, not because I wanted to. I kept going to church, but it was nothing of, of any value to me. Ah, the word would be taught. I would be in a Bible study or if I chose to or didn't skip it or something like that. It was just something that if it fits into my life, I will do it. I started robbing God. I started holding back. Giving. I'd been giving all my life. My mother had taught me to give, to give on the front end, to give on the first, give the 10%. And I, I, I'd stop giving. I'd, just, I, I'd rationalize, hey, listen, I do a lot of good deeds out there. I help somebody. I buy him something. I, I'm doing my own thing. I've got my own ministry going on here. Or I've kind of got my own thing. I've got too much going on. And by the way, you, you know, it costs a lot to give. So I'm not going to give. So I'm just going to rob God. I was just doing it myself. I didn't consider God in day-to-day decisions. He was the furthest thing from my mind from Sunday when I left church to Sunday when I entered back into church. He's the furthest thing from my mind was God. The relationships, oh baby. It was all about the pleasure factor for me in the relationships. And that's how I lived for three years. And God... Tried to bring me back, tried to bring me back, tried to bring me back. And finally, he just goes like this. Romans chapter 1. He let me go. He turned me over. And just let the chips fall where they will. And they fell. They fell until I was face planted on the ground, literally in my bedroom, crying into my carpet where there was tear stains in my carpet. God, I have failed you. And in that moment, I experienced an embrace that to this day, I'm 49 years old, 
to this day, I look back at that day as a learning pivotal point in my life. If you look at the mosaic of my life, you will find broken pieces there that are now part of my story that I will tell that will always be a learning point for me. I developed in that broken moment peace with God. And I thought, this is much better than anything I could create out there on my own. Generosity came back. Loyalty came back. Faithfulness came back. Love for him came back. Love for his bride came back. It was, it was a renewed, a new joy in my life to go to Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2 and following. He says, have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have attained access by God into his grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope. That's what I had. I had hope back. I had joy back. I had access. Where sin had separated me from God, now the the wall of separation is down and I have access. I have peace with God. I have access to the Father. Now, we've got to appreciate that, guys and gals. We've got to appreciate the Father of the universe, the creator of all, will listen to our prayers. After all that I've done back here, how in the world? Go figure that one out. Best way I can illustrate it is a story I'd heard about uh, Jimmy Carter whenever he was the president of the United States that he came into office and he had one daughter at home, Amy Carter, and there was a, there was a rule in the White House that any time Amy Carter, his daughter, wanted to see daddy, wanted to sit on daddy's lap, that she had access. She could come into the Oval Office, she could come into a meeting, and she could sit down there. Now think about that for telling your chief of staff, telling everyone that, hey, when a, she didn't need a badge, she didn't need to be pushed out. If I'm meeting with a king or I'm meeting with a prince or I'm meeting with anybody, if I'm meeting with my cabinet, my daughter can come in at any given moment. I thought about that. How in the world does a kid get access unhindered to daddy? Unless there's a relationship. She only had access for one reason. Not what she brought to the table. She was a pimple-faced teenager. But what she brought to the table was a relationship. When you have peace with God, you have access by faith into this grace which we stand And we rejoice and we hope in the glory of God. Listen, the mosaic begins to take shape at that point. Number two, we have an extravagantly unconditional love loved by God. There's this love that I can't put enough descriptors in front of. It's extravagant. It's it's unconditional. You think, Mike, where do, you, where do you get this? Listen, read this on your way out today. You're going to be given the opportunity to grab one of these. Grab two or three. Give them to some friends and invite them to study through the week of Christ in the Passion Week. This is Palm Sunday. Lead, read every day. There's different passages that lead up to what happened on Friday, to lead up to what we're going to celebrate on Sunday next week. Invite somebody who doesn't go to church to take one of these and read it with you. Just read and then bring them back. And here's the, here's the point. I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to push some merch on you up here. Take it or not. I don't care. But the point is, 
that when you get into this and you understand the deep love and the commitment that Jesus had for us, it should overwhelm our soul. When we come to John 3, 16, I know it's old hat. We've all memorized it. We all know it. For God, say it with me. For God so loved the world. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish. What a promise. What a beautiful promise. Where does it start? It starts with love. It starts with love. Romans gives us a deeper picture of that love. When you go to verse 5, it says, Hope does not put us to shame. We don't have an empty hope. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Poured, saturated, baptized, immersed. God's love is not a, a little bit. It doesn't trickle in. It doesn't seep in. It pours into us. In the presence of His Holy Spirit, If you're a follower of Jesus today, you have something that nobody else has that's not a follower of Jesus. You have the presence of God abiding with you. Wake up to that reality every single morning and the beauty of His love being expressed inside of you. You go on down, skip on down to verse 8. It says, but God shows, demonstrates, proves His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. I love it. This is where it shows that extravagance. This is where it shows that unconditional. God didn't say this to you. If you'll get your act together, I'll love you. If you get it straight, finally figure it out. If you, I'll love you. No. He loved us in our jacked up selves. In our broken pieces, when we don't have answers for the broken pieces and we're ready to throw it away and try to start all over again, only to break it down again and to throw it away. No, no, no. Stop it right there. He loves us right there. He demonstrated his love for us. Now, while we were still lost and broken in our sin, he died for us. What is the message of your mosaic? I hope you can point to a peace with God that gives you access and joy and hope. I hope that you can point to a love by God, that you are loved by God. You know you're loved by God. You're you're baptized, immersed in that love every single day because the Spirit of God is in you. And then finally, finally as an over, but there's just so much more. We are forever reconciled to God. Now, it, Reconcile's big. It takes two different people to reconcile. I can have an offender in my life and I can forgive my offender, but my offender, offender never changed their ways. I need to forgive them so I can live in freedom, okay? That's me giving them forgiveness. Now, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. Reconciliation takes it when both parties bring themselves humbly to the table and they bring their very best to the table and they say, this is who I am. This is what the situation is. I'm giving myself and humbly we're going to come together and we're going to be reunited as one. And in Philippians chapter 2, you read that for yourselves and you talk about how Jesus humbled himself, becoming the form of a, a servant, even dying, even a death on a cross. That's his bringing his best. That's his bringing his humility to the table. Now, what do we do in response to that? We need to bring our best. We need to bring our humility. We need to bring our brokenness. And we need to say, God, here I am. 
God, here I am. For the rest of my life, here I am. We got to understand life. Life at 50,000 feet. What does it look like? God made. Okay? He made it. It was perfect. It was good. It was right. It was everything was in order. Old earth, new earth. I'll let you put the date on the earth. I, I don't care. God made it. Okay? He made the bang that made the bang. Okay? Or whatever, it, it, however you want to put it into play. God made it. And it was good. And he made us to worship him. He made us to be in relationship with him. Man broke it. We broke it. We, got, we break it, we own it. We break it, we have to fix it, right? We can't fix this mess. As you saw in chapter 5, verse 12, one generation after the next, we just continue to break the next generation, and they're going to break the next generation. And so what, what are we going to do? In fact, he goes in here and he gives him four different labels. He talks about us being weak. He talks about us being ungodly. He talks about us being sinners. He talks about us being enemies. That's us in all of our brokenness. Humankind is in a perpetual state of brokenness until God does something to fix it. Insert Jesus. God made, man broke, God reconciled. He redeemed, he restored, he justified us. When he went to the cross, he made us whole. One of the greatest New Testament teachers of the 20th century is a guy by the name of F.F. F. Bruce. If you find it, any of his stuff, get it and read it and you'll be blown away. He says this, where reconciliation is mentioned in the New Testament, God or Christ is always the reconciler. Every single time you're going to find reconciliation, reconciler in the scripture, you're going to find Jesus is that recon. He's the noun. He's the person behind it. And we see here that in this passage as well, that we are reconciled to God. We are reconciled. He gives us reconciliation. Let's read these verses 9 to 11. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood. I'm sorry. Blood's in here. Jesus had to die to pay for the sin that we owed. Okay? He did that voluntarily because He loved us. You're going to see something, a wordplay here. He does a past, he does a, he does a already, and he does a not yet in two verses. An already and a not yet. So he says already. Verse nine. We have been, past tense, justified by the blood. Much more, we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. So here's the beauty. This happened in the past, or we've been uh, reconciled in the past, but guess what? We've been justified in the past, but guess what? We're also going to be saved in the future. He does it again, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, uses that word to describe us, we were reconciled, past tense, to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall be saved, will, uh, shall we be saved by this life. So he talks about future. So we are saved. We are being saved and we shall be saved in the end. We shall be reconciled with him. And he goes on and I love it. And I close with this. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have received it. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. We received it. Peace with God. 
loved by God, reconciled to God. That, my friend, is the best news that you'll ever hear in your life. And that is the best reality that you can choose to live in or not choose to live in. You can live in the mess and try to fix it yourself and deal with the mess yourself. Or you can say, God, here's my mess. Here's my brokenness. Would you make it whole? I want to go back to the, to the mosaic. It's at the emperor's door when you walk into the Hagia Sophia and you stand there just before going into the large worship hall. You stand and up above the door, high, high, maybe 20 feet above the door uh, is, is, is that mosaic. And you find, kneeling at the feet of Jesus, you find, uh, you find Leo, the emperor of Rome. Okay? Roman emperors thought they were God for many years. He is kneeling with his hands outstretched. There's nothing in his hands because he has nothing to give but brokenness. He's reaching it out. I have nothing to give you, but please, would you shed grace and mercy on my life? Because what happened is Emperor Leo had been married three times and divorced, which was unheard of. And he wanted to get married a fourth time, but instead, to shame the public in his position, he just chose to have a mistress. So of this life of brokenness, brokenness, piled on top of brokenness, he couldn't fix himself. So he is bowing before Jesus saying, please have mercy on me. Which is what some of us need to do today. Jesus, I can't. I have nothing to give you. There's a scroll in Jesus' hand. We had a Greek scholar with us, and he couldn't even read it. It was so far away. So I looked it up. This is what it says. May peace be with you. The very first thing that happens in the hearts and the lives of everybody who's justified by faith is they have peace with God. Would you bow your heads with me? Do you have peace with God? Do you have an abundance of the love of God flowing over you and in you and through you? Have you been reconciled to God? If you haven't, my prayer to God is that you not live another day trying to do it on your own, trying to put the pieces into a place, trying to figure it out one more time of another jigsaw puzzle. You stop it and you go to Jesus in faith, in prayer, and say, Jesus, I give myself to you. You can say that prayer right where you're sitting right here, right now, in your own words. You say, Jesus, I don't really understand all of this. I, I can't make sense. But I just know because your spirit is speaking to my spirit that I need to give myself to you. I give myself to you, Jesus. We're going to have some prayer partners around. There's going to be some up front, some on the landing back there. I'm going to ask them to come right now and get in their positions. Wherever they're going to be, they're going to be around. These are the people I go to and I pray with. These are the people that I trust with the deep, dark secrets of my life. You feel comfortable and ready to pray with someone. Or just say, hey, I, I, I gave my life to Jesus today. And I got to tell someone. I got to tell someone. Father God, you know every heart in this room. Don't let any of us escape the touch of your voice of your spirit right now. Flood us with your love. Help us to 
feel embraced by your peace and reconciled to you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us? This is your time to come. The Lord's prompting you.